We are going to be continuing our series uh, through the life, which has been looking at the life of Jesus and just kind of taking these, these moments in his life and seeing what they can reveal to us about who he is. And so we're going to be, um, we've been doing these videos, these really, really great videos that, that provide a lot of kind of depth and context uh, to, to the stories so that hopefully the stories will come alive a little bit to you guys. And so today is no different. We're going to show you a video and then we're going to get into the stories uh, that, that the video kind of point to. So go ahead and run that video. Children have the heart of God, but they do not always have the heart of those in power. During the time of Christ, children were considered a bother in public life. They were brushed aside. They were treated with disrespect. They were kept away from people of importance. So when children approach the kind graces of Jesus Christ, the self-important disciples tried keeping them away. They thought to themselves, we are far too important to be bothered by kids. But Jesus sternly corrected them. He said, let the children come, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Jesus understood that children are treasured by God and should be treasured by us all. In the books of the law, God shares his heart that children are to be a priority in the home, passing on God's word to the next generation. In the Psalms, God shares his heart that children should know the great vision God has for this world. And in Jesus' own teaching, he shares God's heart that children are treasures to be embraced, valued, respected, and mentored to ensure their success in a loving home and in a community of care. Children have the heart of God. Amen. Well, we, uh, we are going to be talking about children. So if you are a child in this room, it's all about you today. We are, we are happy to have you guys here. We are going to be looking at Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, open it up. If you have a hard copy of the Bible, turn there. If you have a Bible app, please go to Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10. Before we work our way to Mark 9, I actually want to look at Luke 9, but I'll look quickly and then we'll spend our time at Mark 9. The reason I want to look at uh, Luke 9 is because there's a story in Luke 9 that we're going to be focusing on in Mark 9, and I love the way that Luke sets the story up. There's one sentence in particular that I just, I find really, really funny. But before we get to that verse, I do want to give you guys a little bit of kind of uh, broad context and then some narrow context so you guys can really understand what we're looking at here. Um, at this point in Jesus' ministry, things are starting to really get exciting. If you're one of the disciples, you are like, finally, this thing is, this thing's really taking off. Everyone's beginning to notice uh, this, that Jesus is awesome. They're hearing his teaching and they're telling everyone how great it is. They're seeing his miracles and they're just amazed. Things are really, really, really getting good for the uh, disciples and specifically for, the, the, for Jesus in the ministry. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 43. It says, they, meaning the people, were all amazed at the greatness of God because of what Jesus was doing. He says that everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did. And so that is the grand context. The, the, the whole 
kind of thing is getting exciting for the disciples. They are really, really excited to be on the coattails of the Messiah. They are in the inner circle of the man right now, and that is Jesus. And so um, the, the kind of more narrow context, the more specific to this exact story, is that in the midst of this excitement, they are journeying along a road. They're walking along a road uh, to a place called Capernaum, and that is where this line comes into play. It's Luke chapter 9, verse 46, I believe. It says this, and argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. And I'm going to stop there because that is a really, really, really interesting sentence. Like that is a sentence that almost demands that you try to picture this situation. Picture grown men, the 12 disciples of Jesus that have been poured into and taught by Jesus for for years now. I mean, these are people that are are mature adults and they're walking along the road and they're not having a calm discussion. They are arguing over which one of them is the most bestest. They're arguing over who is going to be the one that when it's all said and done, they're going to say, you know who the best disciple was? It was Peter. And Matthew's like, no, 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 no. Remember that one time when I did this? They're comparing resumes. They're having a discussion to actually debate who's going to be the best. And you have got to realize just how silly and awkward and immature that is. It's the kind of conversation that would happen in like the backseat of your minivan when your kids don't know you're listening. Have you guys heard about the new, like, I think it's Honda Odyssey has a function where you can push a button and hear what your kids are saying in the backseat. I'm pretty, I heard it on a commercial, so it has to be true. Or you can push a button and talk to them. But either way, it's cool. Honda Odyssey. Anyway, um, so they have this ridiculous, ridiculous discussion. Grown men bickering over who's the best. And I love the next like five words that will pop up here. So they're arguing and it says this, Jesus knowing their thoughts. I love that. Because first of all, it's a really cool Jesus trick. Like parents, parents do their best to try and guess what their kids are thinking, but Jesus just knows what they're thinking. And it's great because you have to imagine there's no way on earth they were having this conversation like, hey, Jesus, come walk with us. Here's what we're talking about. Like this, I guarantee you, was like they walked a little faster or they kind of walked a little slower. So there was some distance and they're like, all right, now let's talk about it. How many people have you healed this month? Yeah. And it's just this weird, awkward discussion, but... The beauty is that what they don't know is that Jesus knows, even though he didn't hear it. And that's what makes this next story, the same story in in Mark chapter 9, so wonderfully glorious. So now they've arrived. So Jesus knows what they're talking about on the road. He's been just thinking and chewing. You ever have these moments as a parent where you overhear your kids say something really dumb and you're kind of thinking how you can best confront them with it? Just me? I remember sitting outside my, my kid's room one night, I'm not going to say it as the boys or girls because I have four of them, so I'm not going to single any one of you four out. But um, I remember sitting outside their room and I remember just, I overheard a tone and some language, some, some derogatory language, some mean things being said from one kid to another kid. And I stopped and I started listening. And it was like, it was like a good 30 seconds of like, wow, we do not talk to each other like that. And of course, kids are human and we all say dumb stuff. And this one child was saying some things they shouldn't say. But I remember the most fun for me in that moment, which is kind of sick and wrong, was that I was just debating on when I could barge in and be like, oh, what were you saying? Sir, what was that? Oh, did you want not, you didn't want me to hear you crushing your sibling's life? So this is what Jesus gets to do except he's not quite as messed up as I am. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the road, they had been arguing about who was the greatest. Now, again, maybe it's just me, but I, I kind of picture Jesus with a little smirk on his face when he asked that question. 
It's just wonderfully, gloriously awkward. And so as we move on here, we're going to see um, that, uh, that Jesus, well, you'll see. Um, verse 35, it says this, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 disciples and he said, anyone of you that wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So he put his finger right on the issue. They were debating over who was going to be first, who was going to be the greatest, who was going to be the best. And he's saying, I, I know what you guys are talking about. You were arguing about this. And I want you to know if you're looking to have that be true of you, then here's the solution. You need to put yourself last. You need to become the servant of all, which is completely and totally backwards from anything any of them were actually trying to do. Realistically, all of us know if, they want, if we want to rise to the top, we need to be the best. We need to look out for number one. We need to do whatever we possibly can to climb over whatever poor souls might be in the way of us and our goal. That's how it works here. But Jesus is saying, if you really want to be the, the best, and he's not saying, hey, how dare you want to be great. He's just saying, listen, if you want to be great in the place that actually matters in the eyes of God, you do that by becoming last. And you do that by becoming the servant of all. And so it goes on in verses 35 and 37. It says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. It says that he took a little child. So he's trying to make a point here and he handpicks an, an object lesson. He says, I'm going to take this kid and I'm going to use this to contrast the hearts of these men. He says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me, God. And so he's trying to say, listen, you guys are so busy trying to scurry your way to the top of the social ladder, but really you should be looking for ways to serve the people at the bottom like these children. And I, and I bring that up because it's important to understand that, that, that children in the first century were not one of the, they weren't respected the way that they are nowadays. They weren't cherished in public the way they are nowadays. At home, parents loved their kids and they did their best to, to raise their kids. But ultimately, in public, it was like, sit there and don't bother anyone. Kids were, were there to be ignored. And if they couldn't be ignored because of one reason or another, they were, they were tolerated at best. Kids were like bugs in first century Judaism. Some of you guys are like, my kids are still like bugs in 21st century Semecula. But... Again, the child in this story is, is Jesus is choosing someone from the bottom of the social ladder to say, you're trying to get up here, but you get there, you get to the top in my eyes by going to the bottom and being a servant to everyone else. And he could have chosen a tax collector who was probably more despised. He could have chosen some really like noteworthy, despicable sinners, but he chose a child. And that's important. And so ultimately what, you, what you're going to see here is Jesus is going to warn these people in, in Mark chapter 9. He's warning them that the path to greatness is not one of focusing on yourself and trying to climb higher on the social ladder. The path to greatness is found when we lower ourselves and look to love and serve everyone, including the least and the last. And in this example, he specifically uses kids. So that was Mark chapter 9. If you have a hard copy Bible, please turn your page one page over. Both of you, please do it. I've heard one page. Hey, somebody tore their bulletin in half. Just kidding. Kids, Bibles used to be in like books. You would open them and you'd turn the pages. Those of you guys that have an app, just push the bottom right button where the arrow is to go to chapter 10. 
I, I need you to feel the awkwardness of this because it's literally one chapter, one page. If the one who had the, 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 the Bible with the actual page, maybe you're saying, Ryan, it's Mark 10 is on the same page. In that case, turn the page back so that we can all appreciate the awkwardness of that moment. It's, it's, what I'm trying to get at here is that right after Jesus warns the people with this, right after he says, this is not how you get to the top. This is not how you truly become the greatest. And he specifically uses the child to illustrate this. The one who welcomes these children, they are the ones that will be great. One chapter, one page later, look at what it says on Mark chapter 10, verse 13. This is a story of what really happened with some foolish disciples. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, to, to bless them and to, to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them and said, get up out of here, ain't nobody got time for that. It goes on and it says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant, which is a fancy word, kids. Basically, it means that he wasn't digging it. it was, he wasn't digging it. There you go. When Jesus saw this, he wasn't digging it. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Don't, don't block their path to me. Don't, kick them. don't tell them ain't nobody got time for that. It says, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And it goes on and it says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and he placed his hands on them and he blessed them. And so you've got these two stories, Mark 9, Mark 10, there's a ton of irony because he just said, man, you want, the, you want to be the, the greatest? Then, then welcome the least of these like these children. And the next chapter is like, hey children, go, get out of here. We need some adult time. And so these two stories, I've been wrestling with, with, what, with what we can draw out of that specifically in regards to children. And I think the first thing I need to kind of acknowledge is that these, these stories aren't broadly applied just to children. These stories are one of many, many stories throughout the stories of Jesus' life, throughout the Gospels. These two stories are examples of a truth you will see all throughout the life of Jesus. It is one of the most beautiful wonderful truths about Jesus. It's one of the things about Jesus that non-Christians find most appealing. The people that don't even, don't even believe that Jesus is the son of God, they look at the life of Jesus and they go, now that is a quality that I find admirable. And here is the, the truth that th these stories convey. The fact that Jesus cares for the rejects. Jesus deeply cares for the outcasts. He cares for the unclean. He cares for the nuisances, the pests, the bugs. He cares for the, the afterthoughts, the people that people just walk by and don't even notice they're there. Jesus notices them. He cares for the people who bring nothing to the table, the people that you can't, there's no way you can leverage a relationship with them to climb any higher on your social ladder. They just don't have anything of value in that regard. But Jesus cares about them. Jesus loves them. Jesus cares about the least. He cares about the last. And in that group, amongst many others, including tax collectors and, and, and just, just ill-regarded sinners of all different kinds and cripples and lepers was the group of children. And, and that's a valuable truth. We need to read these stories and see this truth, that Jesus cares for these people and he desires for our heart to become more and more like this, that we would begin to care for them. That is how we will be the greatest. That is how we will truly, that God will see our life and go, wow, now that, that is a well-lived life. Someone who loves and cares for these people. So while they certainly care to that, a point to that fact, there's something that I, I do believe there's something to be said for the fact that these two stories do focus on children. 
They, do, they, do, they reveal something else about Jesus besides this broad love for the outcasts and, and the rejected. I believe it speaks specifically to the fact that Jesus loves the little children. How many of you guys are singing that song in your head right now? Gee, I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I was going to sing it, but then a lot of you guys get jealous and it's awkward and I've already had a light stick thrown at me. I don't know how many more might come flying up here. But it's just, kids, it's an old cheesy song that says, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And then it starts listing off a bunch of mildly offensive colors. And anyway, it's like, I don't know, that's kind of, okay, anyway. So, um, but Jesus loves everyone is the point. All these little kids, it's a, it's a song, but it is so true. And you look at these stories. I mean, I love that part where it says he takes them up in his arms. Everyone's like, shoo, get away, kids. He's like, no, I'm not digging it. And he gets up and he holds them. And he, and he prays over them and he blesses them and he spends time with them. I love those videos because it, it just showed someone who authentically cared for children. He loved the children. He praised qualities in the, in the child. He even said, when it comes to, to, to your faith, man, you should seek to have a childlike faith that is so innocent and pure-hearted. Jesus loved and highly regarded children. And, and the thing that I really want to spend the rest of my time talking about is the fact that not only did Jesus love children, but he really, truly valued children. And that's like, it's a very similar word, but it's an important distinction here. It's one thing to love kids, but it's another thing to truly, deeply value them. To believe that they are important in the grand scheme of things. Because if I were to be honest, I think there's a lot of churches, a lot of Christians that think, yes, kids are great, they're cute, they do things at Christmas time on stage, they're adorable. But, but Jesus, no, it was beyond just a, a love that, oh, aren't they cute? It was a authentic, deep valuing of children. So besides these stories, I, there's, a, there's, there's, a, uh, there's another way I can kind of really know for a fact that these stories point to Jesus valuing Jesus, and excuse me, valuing children. And it's a series we're doing right now in the children's ministry. For the last two months, we've been doing a series where our main illustration, our main object, object lesson is a Mr. Potato Head. And it's a series that about 10 years ago, I had this idea for an illustration with a Mr. Potato Head. And I, and I did it once with young adults and people were like, that's kind of cheesy. And I'm like, whatever, I guess I can't do it. And then I never did it with adults because you people can be so judgmental. But now that I have kids, I've been like, I'm bringing this, this bad boy out. And so we've been doing this series and it's all about the Mr. Potato Head. And in this series, the Mr. Potato Head represents our understanding of God. I've, trust me, I've clarified to your kids that God is not a Mr. Potato Head, but it just represents the fact that each of us have an understanding of God that is constantly being shaped and reshaped, hopefully. And what I mean by that is that I look back at my childhood, I look back at my teen years, teen years I look back at my early walk with God, and I had a very, very clear understanding of what God was like. I had this very clear, and it, basically, the majority of the time, God was looking down at me and just going, again? How many of you guys seen Happy Gilmore? It's like Lee Trevino. Every time Happy Gilmore did something wrong, he's like, that was God. He was, and kids, you should not watch that movie for another several years. Anyway, that view of God, as wrong as it was, it held a lot of weight in my life. That view of God dramatically impacted the way that I lived my life. And what I've learned over the years is that everyone's view of God dramatically impacts the way they live their life. And so what I've come to realize is that every human being on this planet has a view of God. Some people, their view of God is a red X because they don't believe he even exists. And some people have a view very similar to mine and some people have, we all have, and that's the other thing is that we all have different views. 
And the most important thing is that that view dramatically shapes our life. And then the last thing I would want to mention is that none of us, not one person in this room, not one person at the finest theological schools in all the land has a perfect understanding of God. All of us need to, to be willing to go to God's word and allow ourselves to reshape our understanding of God based upon his word. And so this series has been all about that. If we want to understand what God is like because it affects the way we live, then let's go to his word and find out what he's like. And the way we've been doing that is by looking at the life of Jesus. Last service, one little girl goes, Jesus? And the adults are like, what? Anyway, we look at the life of Jesus. There's a verse in John chapter 14, verse nine. Look what it says. It says, anyone who has seen me, this is Jesus talking, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So if you want to know what the father is like, we can look at the life of Jesus and shape our understanding of him. Make sense? Now, I bring all that up now because I'm trying to tell you that Jesus doesn't just love the children, he values the children. And if it's true for me to say that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, how many of you kids out there like math? You haven't taken algebra yet, have you? It's a very evil thing. You're going to do all the stuff right and the teacher's going to say it doesn't count because you didn't show your work and you're going to argue, you're going to get detention, and it's not going to change your grade anyway, so good luck. Anyway. In math, somewhere along the road, I, I learned this thing called the commutative property that says that if I want to know what, what God is like, I can look, like, look at Jesus, which means that if I want to know what Jesus is like, I can look at God. And so when it comes to the idea of Jesus valuing children, I know it to be true because all throughout the Old Testament, we are told in very clear ways that God deeply values the next generation. God deeply values the children. I mean, you see it in, in passages like Psalm 78, just the first seven verses lays it out. Teach your kids all about me because they are the ones who are gonna carry the torch. You look at the, in the, in the Old Testament, they have all these feasts and festivals like the Passover. And God says every year you celebrate them and you make a big deal out of these. Why? Because you need a vacation? No. Because hundreds of years from now, I want kids to be like, hey, dad, what's this Passover thing all about? And you to be able to say, well, way back when, this is what happened. And look at how awesome God is. Because God values the next generation. The one passage I will read is from Deuteronomy chapter 11. He tells the people in general, he says, fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up and when you're hanging out on the couch and when you just, just talk about them a lot. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The bottom line is that God clearly not only loved children, but valued them, which means that we can know with certainty that Jesus valued them as well. And so these stories that show him just caring for these children, I believe they speak to more than just care. They speak to the value that Jesus has for the next generation. And of course, that means that he calls us to try and live into that as well. I want to look back at a verse that we read earlier from Mark chapter 10. It says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Again, that means do not block their way. That verse was highly relevant in the, when it was said because they had literally just kicked some kids out of the house and said, hey, this is adult time. We don't have time for you. So Jesus is saying, don't let them come to me. Don't hinder them. Um, I don't know that many of us hear that and go, whew, that's a good warning for me because just the other day I was tempted to stand in that hallway and tell kids to just get out of here. Like I've never, I mean, I stand at the, the front door to greet kids and say hi to parents and I've never seen someone out there with a sign saying, kids, get up out of here. No one stands in the street saying, kids not welcome, we want parent time. 
That's not something I'm concerned about here. That is not the kind of hindering that I'm worried about us as a church falling into. But there are other more passive forms of of hindering, more passive forms of of not really um, showing the love to the next generation that if we're not careful, we'll be guilty of. Um, One of my favorite, favorite stories, uh, it's a really beautiful story. It's a a Calvary Chapel-like pillar story. And how many of you guys have ever been a part of a Calvary Chapel? If you've been a part of a Calvary Chapel for like more than a, two weeks, you've heard this story. The, the Calvary Chapel started in Costa Mesa and it, was, it, it started when Chuck Smith really kind of, it really took off when Chuck Smith, uh, this amazing godly man, went down to the beaches and started ministering to surfers and hippies. Any of you guys, some of you guys might have been some of those first people, anyone? You're like, ah. Anyway, um, sorry, that was a joke about how you're a little older than I am. Anyway, um, he would go and he would minister to them and then he'd bring them to Calvary Costa Mesa and, and, and by the hundreds they started to come and they would show up and they would worship and they'd get into these just beautiful Bible studies and it was awesome. But some of them would smoke cigarettes in the parking lot and yeah, bad habit. And some of them would just show up and they just, they didn't smell very good because showering wasn't a top priority for them. And, and someone would show up in like swimsuits and, and, and bare feet and it was just, it was, it was a bit of an issue for some of the older people in church. And so the story, the beautiful, wonderful story goes that some of the, the elders and some of the, the older people at church said, uh, this isn't working for us. And they confronted Chuck and they said, listen, it's not only wrong because of this, 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 and this, but I mean, look, look at the carpet. They're ruining the carpet. And, and Chuck's amazing, legendary response was, oh, the carpet, okay, well, I have a solution. Why don't we just tear the carpet up? Because if we're going to let something as ridiculous as dirty carpet hinder the people from coming to Jesus, then we are idiots. And so he, he, he lays it out. And that's a beautiful, wonderful story. That it's one that if you have been at Calvary Chapel for a while and you're like an old school Calvary, you tell that story with like great pride. There was, there was pastors in my old church that, that told me that story like legitimately three or four times. I'm like, you've told me this three or four times. Okay, continue. All right, whatever. You're going to tell it anyway? All right, make it five. They would just love the story. And they went, I bet that is a fantastic story. But there was one of them in particular, who I can remember graphically, the details of this conversation were like still crystal clear. We're in his office and he starts griping to me about the total and complete lack of respect that young men and women show to church nowadays. And I was was like, you're talking about the people outside the church? He goes, no, I'm talking about the people in the church. I'm like, what do you mean? Are they like swearing or like, are they selling drugs? What's going on? He goes, no, just look at what they're wearing. I mean, half of them have tattoos everywhere. I mean, they're pierced in, in places that you can't even imagine. Their hair's all dyed and whatever, and shorts and tanked. I mean, what is this? And I'm like, dude, you've told me that other story like five times. Are you not seeing a connection here? He's like, what are you talking about? I literally made a chart for him. I'm like, can you? He's like, it's different. What I'm trying to get at there is that I don't worry about many of us going out and holding up signs in the parking lot, but if we're not careful and, and wonderfully clever, passive-aggressive ways with maybe it's just an ever-so-slight judgmental glance. Or maybe it's just just a less-than-warm welcome. If we're not careful, and we're not going to do it to the cute five-year-olds, we're going to do it to the middle schoolers and high schoolers. But if we're not careful, we can be guilty of hindering ever so slightly. And and the irony is that many of us can remember when we were on the other side of that, and it's very hard for us to to realize that we might be guilty of the same thing. Here's my last verse I want to point out, and I will try and wrap up here quickly. This is Mark, uh, Mark 10, 14, but with a positive twist to the end of it. It's not the same verse. It's my version of making, instead of saying, do not hinder them, it says, let the little children come to me and do whatever you can to find ways to bring them to me. 
I hope that as a church, and I know that as a staff and as, as, as the ministries within this church, we do the best we can to live into this. I will tell you for certain, the children's ministry is driven by that idea. What can we do to bring kids to this church? I will tell you that Braden and his team in middle school, they are driven by that verse. It's not a verse, it's a version of the verse that I twisted. I hope that's not blasphemous. Anyway, um, the high school, Kyle and his team are doing that. We are all doing the best we possibly can to find ways to get kids into this building or even outside of this building so we can poison their minds with Jesus. That's our goal. And so I wanna just, just specifically just tell you, if you have a child in our children's ministry, I cannot promise you that they will leave in, as fifth graders speaking Hebrew. Advanced Greek is a likelihood, but Hebrew I cannot promise. I, I, what I'm getting at is that I, I, am, I am not looking to do an in-depth, you know, cover-to-cover -cover Bible study where we spend months in the book of Habakkuk. I mean, it's, it's a great book, don't get me wrong, but I am not, that's not, that's not our goal. Our goal is to have your kids come into that room, have a blast, feel loved and cared for by the people in that room so that we can point them to the one who really, truly loves them and cares for them, which is Jesus. And so the, the things we want to make sure that they hear, the things that your child will hear over the course of their time in our children's ministry, First and foremost, they will hear that, that if you are trying to, em, to embark upon a religious journey that involves you trying to measure up to God somehow, you trying to climb the ladder high enough to be good enough for God, you are wasting your time because you can never be good enough for God. And so we will tell you just what Jesus told everyone. Jesus' ministry, over and over, he told people, stop trying to climb the ladder and be good enough. Get off the ladder. And we have a bucket. We actually have a bucket that says in big letters on the front, sinners. And we say, kids, get in the bucket. And it's really super depressing when you just stop right there. It's like, hey, we're all sinners, yay. But all of us know that, right? No one's dumb enough to think we're perfect. And what's beautiful is that on the side of the bucket, in big letters, it says, loved by God. And on the other side, it says, saved by grace. And we want kids to know you can never be good enough for God. Embrace the fact that you're a sinner, but how great is it to know that you're loved by God anyway and you're saved by grace. So rest in the bucket. And you're gonna, your kids are going to hear that more than they even could possibly imagine. They're also going to hear over and over and over again just the best we possibly can to help them better shape their understanding of God. When we read a story in the Bible, we want to point them back to their potato head and say, can you see how this shapes your understanding of God? Because there's other things out there that are trying to, to twist that and, and make that imperfect. And we want to get as close as we can as possible. And then, and then the third thing that I want to make sure uh, that we do tell kids over and over is that if you choose a life of sin. If you choose to go the opposite way of where God is calling you, there are consequences. I have lived long enough to see that when I choose my own way, inevitably, one way or another, I face the weight of my choices, and you will too. If you think you're not, just trust me, you're lucky for now. Inevitably, it all comes back. But what, we aren't looking to scare kids with that stick. Really, we want to call them to the idea that even, even though that is true, isn't it beautiful to know that your loving Heavenly Father wants a life that is rich and full and abundant for you? And, and when you read his word, know that it is a loving Father calling you to that. And the last thing, in, in the line with that loving Father, there's a story I thought, it was, my, it was my number one verse with youth ministry because I thought it was relevant there. But I'm surprised at how relevant I'm finding it in children's ministry, and that is the, the prodigal son story. This is a story that your kids will hear over and over and over again because as cute as little Billy is, as innocent as he is, Right now, his, his great sin is when you're not looking, he's stealing that extra cookie. We know, Billy, what you're up to. But when he gets older, he will make some bad choices. 
And as you all know, when we make our bad choices, there's all sorts of shame. There's all sorts of just weight to that. And there's all sorts of temptation to say, I've, I've done too much. I've gone too far. This is unforgivable. And we are going to just pound the kids over the head with this beautiful, wonderful picture of a loving heavenly father who's waiting and watching and looks. So when they make those choices, he is that father waiting to run down the road with his arms wide open to just slather you with hugs and kisses. And again, that is our hope and that is our goal. And and I would just want to ask anyone here, if, if that is at all something that sounds interesting to you to be a part of that, I invite you, join us. Be a part of our children's ministry. We have an awesome team. We have high school kids. Some of our high school kids are some of our best volunteers. And high school kids, if you're here, we give community service hours. And we round up. <laughs> Ethically. Parents, some of you parents are like, that's the last thing I want to do is waste more of my time. I mean, I, I finally have an hour of peace. I need to get away from my kids. I'm telling you, as a parent who's in there with his kids, it is awesome. We're asking you for one hour of one Sunday each month. I promise you won't regret it. I really do promise. If you hate kids, you might regret it, so don't go. (laughs) And if you're someone who's like, Ryan, you don't understand, I'm not in that season of life, I paid my dues, I get to appreciate my grandkids and then ship them off back to their parents, that's all I want to do with kids, then maybe it's not right for you either. But if you're a grandparent who's like, man, I would love to be able to, 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 to be involved in the shaping of these kids' lives, please email me. Here's my email. Ryan.Beaver at Rancho.TV. That's beaver like the animal, not the Canadian pop star, okay? Please email me. We would love to get you plugged in. We will have a table out front. Also, one last thing. VBS starts tomorrow. Pray for us and the kids. <laughs> this is my first VBS. I've been, I've been telling people I'm super scared. Like, this is my first VBS as children's pastor, but it is going to be awesome. Please be praying. Let's stand up and I'll close in prayer right now. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful, wonderful day. We thank you for the kids that have joined us. Lord, we we cannot thank you enough for the blessing that they are to our lives. I pray as a parent that you would help me to more consistently remember the fact that they're a blessing, that you would allow me to be more patient and more gracious with my children, and that you would allow me to be gracious with myself when I'm not patient and gracious with my children. I pray, Lord, for each and every young man and woman in this this, uh, audience that you would just Help them to know deep down in their hearts how loved they are by you. And Lord, I pray that same, same thing for the parents in this room. Many of us need to hear it more than the kids do. Father, thank you so much for this church and what they're doing with the next generation. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.